This is Radio Maria. A very warm welcome to Catechesis this afternoon. Welcome to all our listeners this afternoon. We're time for our catechesis with the none other, dear friend of Radio Maria and great contributor to the programming and its content. It's Mr. Derek Williams. Hello, Derek. Good afternoon, Eddie. Welcome to November and a freezing cold weather. That's well, right. Not quite that bad, is it? <laughs> well, it's a, it's a wee bit nippy, but <laughs> it's on the way. It's expected, I guess. It's expected. So, Derek, today is going to continue his talk his series on the covenants the biblical covenants and today the topic is your righteousness in christ so as usual derek i shall hand over the airwaves to you and our dear listeners and i'll let you begin and then in about 15 minutes or so we can uh, have a little break perhaps 15 20 minutes and uh, we can open up the phone lines and uh, give our dear listeners the opportunity to phone in Thank you, Eddie. And dear listeners, I hope hope you're all out there and you've got those mobile phones warmed up and ready to call in. Um, I'd like to hear your stories as well, if anyone's had a particular impact with this Covenant series, if if anything has particularly opened up for you with the Word of God. It'd be really good to hear from you. Um, So if it's not a question, but you just want to share a little testimony about it, please do give us a shout. So, your righteousness in Christ. Now, this is a very important part of the Covenant teachings because... It's basically about what we have gained, what Christ has exchanged with us. And for us as 21st century Catholics, um, we don't necessarily get the importance of this particular topic because what I'm going to say to you, you will see as normal. But when I, when I, when I teach it to you, you'll realize that God has greatly enriched you in a very particular way. Now in Matthew chapter 6, um, Jesus is giving us the a, a, a teaching on um, not pursuing the things of this world. Do not worry about what you are to eat or what you are to drink, what you are to wear. And he says, your heavenly father, and he talks about the birds of the air and so on, your heavenly father clothes them, the flower in the field provides for them, your flower in the field, God clothes them. They're clothed in the word of God. And Later on, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. But it does say something very interesting in this. He actually says, can any of you add a moment to your lifespan? Um, in, in the Greek, it could also be translated as, can, can any of you add a cubit to your height by pursuing these things? Now, what he's speaking into there is the culture of the time. And I want you to think about our culture. If you were to throw a dinner party, um, and let's just say you had a limitless budget and a nice big house. Okay, let's just use our imagination. Limitless budget, nice big house, and you're throwing a dinner party. Um, so you're going to not only get in the good food, you want to impress your guests with the nice food. That's going to be obvious. But then you're also going to want to impress people with the attractiveness of your own look. 
So the man's going to wear his best suit. The lady's going to wear a beautiful dress. They're both going to look nicely done up and everything else. Good wine, nice drink. If you can afford it, you'd go all out to impress the guests and to receive the gratitude of the guests and so on. Now, this was the thing in Jesus's time. And, and he made a point of this at some of the places he went to. And people would always invite, like, Jesus, the, the the prophet in inverted commas, because that's how they saw him. They didn't realize he was a son of God, um, but they saw him as a bit of a prophet and that the people followed him. So they invited him and they invited the others, but they wouldn't invite, in inverted commas, the sinner. They would only invite people of name, people of renown to these parties. And they would want to impress with the food, with the service, with the household, etc. So they kind of puffed up with pride, as it were. And what Jesus is saying, Jesus actually talks about, he makes reference to this, and he talks about, can any of you add a cubit to your stature? Can any of you increase in height? Can any of you become greater by what you eat or drink? Because that's what they were trying to do. They were trying to become something special by the way they would feed one another, by the way they would feed uh, the, the the guests and give them the drink. They wanted to boost their um, their their as it, their standing, if you like, in the community by the party they would give. And Jesus is saying, "Well, look at your position before God. Look at your position in the eyes of God. Can you increase your stature in the eyes of God? No, you can't." And then he says something very interesting. He says, "Seek first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness. And I'm going to look at the righteousness because this is where you can't increase your stature before God, but God has increased your stature himself limitlessly. Okay, really it, it, important topic, okay? And we go back to Genesis chapter 6, verse 9. Noah is described as a righteous man. Consequently, he and his family, because he was the head of his household, are all saved from the flood out of the whole humanity. Only Noah, his wife, their three sons, and their three daughters-in-law, they're the only ones that are saved from the flood, because Noah was declared a righteous man by God. In Genesis 15.6, it says that God credited Abraham with righteousness. So he was it was like a grace, if you like. Um, Job 4.17. Are you ready for this one? It's what it says in the book of Job. Can mortal man be righteous before God? Can a man be pure before his maker? Well, a man can be righteous before God, but not by his own volition. It has to be a grace, a gift from God. This is what it says in the book of Esther, chapter 4, verse 11. Okay? All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if a man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law. All alike are to be put to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter that he may live. Okay? That's an interesting line, isn't it? What's that got to do with righteousness? Well, what is righteousness? Um, in our culture, 
the idea of righteousness goes back to uh, probably over a thousand years when a person wanted to approach the king to get justice they would go into the king's court where all the um king's uh, courtiers are there the ladies and the knights and everyone else is present they would go in going on their knees. The king is the only one who's sitting. The courtiers are standing. The people coming to plead are on their knees. Or standing, but usually on their knees. And they can't talk until the king points the scepter. When the king points the scepter or touches them with the scepter, then the king is granting them righteousness. He's granting them right standing. He's basically saying, you may stand up and petition me. And I will answer your petition, positively or negatively. But either way, the person is allowed to stand and to plead their case in the presence of the king. If I just walked into the king's palace and I just struck up a conversation with the king, I could be put to death. And that's what the Book of Esther is saying. If you just come in here and stand up, you'll be put to death. But what happens in the Book of Esther, actually, is Esther has a three-day fast and she invites all the jewish people to have a three-day fast she then approaches the king after three days of fasting oh no she yeah she approaches the king after three days of fasting and then she invites him to something special but when she approaches him she faints and he touches her neck with the scepter and says to her tell me what you want i will grant your request just tell me what you want and this is, in a sense, what God is like for us. God is saying to us, like in, in the Gospel of John, Jesus is saying, ask, ask God, and he will hear your petitions. Ask God, and he will grant you what you need. Okay? Um, so the, the righteous person in the Word of God is the very important person. This is, um, this is Psalm 146. Verse 8. It's going to take me a moment to find that because I haven't got it marked off. But this is what it says about the righteous. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He, holds, he upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way the wicked he brings to ruin. Okay. So look at the contrast. The Lord loves the righteous, but the way the wicked he brings to ruin. But this is not the person who is self-righteous. There is a lot of self-righteousness in society at the moment, um, which leads to a, a sense of um, entitlement. That's not what righteousness is. Righteousness is where I can approach God and I can be in right standing with God. Now, you might think to yourself, well, I can do that. I can approach God anytime. Yeah, but let's take a little look at the history of this. If you were to go back a few thousand years, the only person who can truly approach God once a year is the great high priest when he enters the Holy of Holies. The rest of us have a distant relationship with God. We certainly do not know God as Father. We know him as the transcendent one whose name we cannot utter. If I speak out the name Yahweh, I could be put to death. So the goalposts have changed considerably. If you go back to that point in time, there was no rosary, there was no Bible, you were not filled with the Holy Spirit, there was no confirmation, no baptism, no Eucharist. So your relationship with God 
with what you learned from the, the rabbi or the high priest. You learned it from the scribes, the people who could read and study the law. Those were the ones who instructed you in the ways of God. And you couldn't even use the word God in many circumstances. Okay? Then Jesus comes along, and Jesus introduces us to God as Father. And the goalposts change. And by his death on the cross and his resurrection, Jesus grants us entry into the Holy of Holies, which is why at his death, when, when he died on the cross, the veil of the temple was torn to grant everybody entrance into the Holy of Holies. The entrance which only the great high priest was allowed once a year. We now have access whenever we like. And I'm going to find Hebrews chapter 4. Because whereas in the Old Testament, you could not approach God. It's changed in a very dramatic fashion. Okay, here we go. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 14. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession for we have not a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sinning let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need now the word for confidence can also be translated as this one, let us then boldly draw near to the throne of grace. Now remember, before the death and resurrection, no one could approach the throne of grace, except for, of course, our Blessed Mother. But the rest of us, no one could approach the throne of grace. Nobody. You could not go into the Holy of Holies. You could not come before God to get grace and mercy. And it says that, it says, you may receive grace and find mercy. You may receive mercy and find grace in your time of need. What is your time of need? What is the time of need when you need grace and mercy? It's when you've fallen into sin. That's when you need mercy. When you've fallen into sin, that's when you need grace. You need mercy for the sin to be wiped out. You need grace so that you can be walking in God's ways in His. In, in communion with God. So that's what your greatest need is. Most of us think our greatest need is uh, tonight's meal um, or the pint of beer watching the England match later on. Um, for those of you who are watching the recording, you'll probably know the score <laughs> or listen to the recording. Um, so that's, how, that's, that's what I want. Our primary needs is our union with God. That's our primary need, that we have a union, an intimate union with God. The only way we're going to get that is through the cloth, cloak that Jesus has placed upon us. The cloak of righteousness. Okay? The cloak of righteousness. With that cloak of righteousness, we can freely approach God as Father. And we can petition him in the name of Jesus for all of our needs. Note again, it's not our wants, it's our needs. Okay? Um, 
Once again, in the Old Testament, very few had the grace of righteousness. Noah, Shem, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, a few others. But that is not how God wanted it. And I'm going to see if I can find, very quickly, I'm flicking through my Bible here, Isaiah chapter 45, verse 8. Now remember, in the Old Testament, it was just one or two characters who had this grace of righteousness out of the entire population of the world. Noah, Moses, Abraham, Isaac, etc. So think about it. Think in terms of only, imagine if only, only presidents of the world had the ability to approach God and petition him. So only, only um, Rishi Sunak, only, I think it's Macron in France, only Biden in America, only Putin, only the world leaders, the heads of governments. Imagine if they were the only ones who could approach God and get an answer to prayer. And that's what the righteousness is about. You know, when Abraham was in Egypt and Pharaoh had a problem in his court because of Abraham's wife, Sarah, Pharaoh approaches Abraham and says, please intercede with God on my behalf, because Pharaoh's wives' wombs had all been closed up. They were barren because of Pharaoh's sin. So Pharaoh says to Abraham, you can approach God, you can achieve the miracle of opening up my wife's wombs. And Abraham intercedes for Pharaoh, which is what in, which is what part one of the graces of righteousness it means that you can approach God and you can speak with him and petition him and he will hear you that's like I say we I'm, you might be saying to me hold on a minute we can do that anyway yes or no but do you realize what a great grace this is do you realize what a phenomenal thing this is how many people say to you during the course of the week, when they find out, for example, your person of prayer or you're committed to your faith, oh, will you please pray for me? Because there's a recognition in nature that there is something special about a person who can approach God, talk to him and hear him, which is what I would hope everyone who's listening to this, this uh, broadcast will be doing. Prayer isn't just about telling God what we want. It's also about listening to him. And what righteousness do we have? Well, this is what the Catechism says. Did I read Isaiah 45 verse 8? I don't think I did. <laughs> Here it is. Shower, O heavens, from above, and let the skies rain down righteousness. Shower, so, shower, O heavens, from above, and let the skies rain down righteousness. So instead of one or two people having the gift of righteousness, all people in Christ will have it. And this is what the Catechism says. The grace of the Holy Spirit confers upon us the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God, not just my own righteousness. This is the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Uniting us by faith and baptism to the passion and resurrection of Christ, the Spirit makes us sharers in his life. And this is also from the Catechism. Like conversion, justification has two aspects. Man, moved by grace, man turns towards God. 
and away from sin. And so he accepts forgiveness and righteousness from on high. Furthermore, the grace of the Holy Spirit has the power to justify us, that is, to cleanse us from our sins and to communicate to us the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ and through baptism. So it's the righteousness of God. Some people also say, but what's justify? Well, justify is gonna, you know, it's another complicated theological word, but let's try this. Justify. One could say that God treats me justified, never sinned. Okay, justify. Just a little play on words there. Justification means that God treats me just as if I had never sinned. And that's what it means to be justified. That's what happens after you've been to confession, especially on Divine Mercy Sunday. God treats you, God looks at you as if you were his own son, as if you had never sinned. Righteousness, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus means I can approach God. Very, very important. So, where was I going to go next? There's quite a few scriptures I'm working around through here. And I think I'm going to Romans chapter 10, verse 8. And if anyone's got their Bibles out there, I hope you're keeping up. Um, Romans chapter 10, verse 8. And it says this. Um, oh, I hope this is the right one. <laughs> What does it say? The word is near you on your lips and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Because if you confess... Oh, here we go. Um, verse 5. Moses writes that the man who practices the righteousness is based on the law shall live by it. Because if you obeyed the law, the Old, Old Testament Torah, and if you obeyed the precepts of the law, you're seen as being a righteous man. But you do not have the righteousness of God. You're just being seen as a righteous person. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. What does it say? The word is near you, on your lips and on your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Because if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For man believes with his heart, and so he is justified. And he confesses with his lips, and so is saved. And this is where Paul is developing to us a rich teaching on the righteousness of God and justified. And what it means, and it's all to do with our standing with God, being able to talk with God, and walk with him. Now, what's this to do with the covenant? Well, if you remember in the when we were looking at the first week, the first week we looked at the nine steps of the Hebrew covenant. And part of that nine steps was if you had a cloak, you would take off your cloak and exchange it with your covenant partner. And in the ancient world, the cloak was very, very important. If a king wore a cloak, he could be seen as the king. A peasant's coat, it could be seen as a peasant. In England, about a thousand years ago, it was illegal for a peasant to wear the garment of the gentry or a knight. 
they had to wear the peasant's garment, and the knight wore the knight's garment, so the classes were distinguished by their garment, just like in ancient Israel. Now, what does Christ do? Christ comes clothed with God. He is the Son of God. That's his garment. He is clothed in the Holy Spirit, and he has a relationship with the Father. So what he does is he leaves heaven, comes to earth, and he clothes himself with our sin on the cross. He takes our sin upon himself. So our sin has been removed. As far as Jesus is from the West, so far as our sin been removed. And that's not good enough for him. He then clothes us in his own righteousness so that we can have a relationship with the Father much like the relationship that Jesus has with the Father. For example, in John John 15, John 16, um, Jesus actually says, prays to the Father, that he will love us in the same way as he loves Jesus. So the relationship is, and, and also that we will be partakers in his own inheritance. So you have this beautiful balancing out. And... Um, uh, sorry, my phone just went off. I forgot to put it on silent. And I've just realised I've really been rabbiting on. It's nearly half past. Oh, <laughs> sorry, been, Eddie. Been back great. to the studio. No, that's fine. Really? <laughs> I didn't want to disturb your flow, but uh, if you'd like me to, I can slip in a little song there and give our listeners an opportunity to phone in and give you a little break, maybe to get a glass of water as well. <laughs> yes, <laughs> if, do so. I bet. If you'd like to... Join us in the conversation. The number's 01223-375564. This is Cardi Job and let your glory fall.
This is Radio Maria. You're listening to Catechesis this afternoon. And we have live on our link, Mr. Derek Williams, who will now continue part two of this series on the biblical covenant. And today he's been discussing your righteousness in Christ. Over to you, Derek. Thank you, Eddie. Now, listener, in John one twenty nine, um, the um, St. John the Baptist testifies about Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God. Now, this is at every Mass. You go to Mass, and just before communion, the priest says the words of John the Baptist. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Okay. He takes away the sin of the world. Jesus has removed your sin. When you were baptized, original sin was wiped away. And if you were baptized as an adult, all of your actual sin was removed. All sin was removed and it was nailed to the cross. Okay. So I want you to think in terms of, you know, when you put your bins out once a week, and the waste disposal people come around and they take all your rubbish and stick it in the back of the um, the big truck and they take your rubbish away, never to be seen by you again. Your, your household waste is removed permanently. This is what it's like with sin. When you go to confession, which I hope you do regularly, Jesus takes away all of your sin. And often the priest will say that in the absolution, I absolve you from all your sins. Some priests I go to confession to actually say, all your sins, those confessed and those not confessed. And sometimes and that, that's, that's appropriate because I don't remember all of my sins. And in fact, in the Psalms, it says, from my secret sins revealed to me, Lord. Because I don't know them. I don't know what's going on in the depths of my soul. I say, God, I can see some of the obvious sins that I'm committing in my life, but I can't see all of my sins. So the priest covers that. May God, God who remove, remove all of your sins. All of your sins are absolved. Okay? So you come out fresh, clean, brand new. The waste disposal unit has driven off, and you cannot see those sins anymore. And Jesus forgets those sins. Okay, this is such an important thing because you need to realize, listeners, God does not see you as a sinner. Okay, we have this hammered into us sometimes, unfortunately. In the New Testament, when Paul is writing to the churches, he never calls them sinners. Never. Not to my knowledge, okay? If somebody out there can contradict me, please do. But from what I've read, apart from, I think there's a, an incident at Galatia and maybe something at Corinth where he has an issue or two. But apart from that, he addresses the churches as the holy ones, the saints. That's what he calls them. Because not only has the sin been removed, something has been given to us. And this is what we have to get, so that when we come out of confession, we know that God has bestowed a special grace upon the soul. So we're not just getting rid of rubbish like from our household, we are gaining something. Here's something of what we're gaining, okay? First of all, we gain righteousness. 
so that we can confidently talk to the Father. Confidently. In the name of Jesus, we can confidently talk to the Father. The next time you're at Mass, when the priest does his prayers, the collect at the start of Mass, after the Gloria on Sunday, the, um, the prayer after the offertory, the prayer at the end of Mass, notice how he's talking to the Father. The prayers generally begin, Dear Father, and they generally conclude, Through Christ our Lord. So the prayers of the liturgy are directed at the Father, not at Christ, at the Father. Okay, Righteousness means we can talk to the Father through Christ, because we have the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Justification is saying that as far as, us, as, far as God's concerned, we have been cleansed from sin. God views us as cleansed from sin. The grace of sanctification, which is bestowed upon the soul, enables us to grow in holiness. And that should be our focal point. Our focal point shouldn't be about fighting off sin. Our focal point should be about growing in holiness. When you've had a bath, you do not look at the dirt going down the drain, I hope, but you look at the cleanliness of the body. That's what you should be doing. Get your focus right. All right? Finally, redemption means we have been bought and paid for by the blood of Christ. So we've been set free from our slavery to sin. We are not enslaved to sin. We've been set free from it by the blood of Jesus. I'm getting on my rant now, so be careful, listeners. So these are all freely given by God to the believer. And here is something incredible that I'm going to tell you now. God gave himself to us through his spirit. By the way, this is a catechism. Okay, Article 1988, if you want to check it. God gave himself to us through his Spirit. By the participation of the Spirit, we become communicants in the divine nature. For this reason, those in whom the Spirit dwells are divinized. There's a word. And you're all saying, what does that mean? <laughs> well, here we go. Are you ready for this? When explaining divinization, Thomas Aquinas uses the example of an iron poker heated in a fire. Though the red-hot poker itself never becomes fire, it participates in every characteristic of the fire. So, we participate in the divine nature through the perfection brought through purgation and the sacraments. Not through purgatory, but through purgation and the sacraments. Through these active experiences of the divine, we are filled to the capacity of our being with divinity. Okay? I hope you all got that. We are f God, God wills that every single person, who, especially those who are Catholics, but everyone, because he wants the whole world to believe. So he wants us all to be filled to our capacity with himself, with the divinity. And it's my belief that one of the reasons why the church isn't evangelizing in such a fruitful way, which is not really at the moment, our growth as Catholics is about 1% or 2% per year. That's not real evangelization. That's not real growth. That's not producing great fruit. 
And one of the reasons I believe is because we're not grasping hold of these basic principles of the of the spiritual life, that God wants us to be divinized. He wants us to be completely transformed and blazing with love for him. And in this era of sanctification that the church is currently in, then this is a grace God wants to give us. And we need to sort of be coming before God and saying, okay, God, divinize me. Make me fully the person you want me to be. Okay, now I'm going to pause again here, as is my thing, and head back to Eddie, and we'll end, and then we'll enter into our final few minutes of the show. Okay, Eddie, over to you. Yep, and here I am. Coming up next, we have this music break: the King and Country Little Drummer Boy.
back to Radio Maria and Catechesis. We're coming to the final part of this talk with our dear friend Derek Williams on your righteousness in Christ. So I'm going to hand over the airways back to you, Derek, for this final chapter. Thank you very much, Eddie. Uh, just want to say that that last song, listeners, one of my favourite songs for Christmas. I really love it. Little Drummer Boy by For King and Country. And my my son, who is 17 and has Down syndrome, he, he loves playing this music on YouTube. Absolutely adores it. Um, anyway, that's just a, just a little side note for you, a little insight into my life here. So... I wanted to think about being divinized, listeners. Um, we are constantly told we are wretched sinners. That's something that comes across on a regular basis through one thing or another. And it's, it's you know, we need to balance things out. We need to recognize that actually the New Testament calls us holy. And I am, at this moment in time, I'm speaking to the holy ones, the saints of God. And we, I think, need to learn to walk in the fullness of our dignity in Christ Jesus. Jesus did not die and shed his blood for us on the cross so that we would remain sinners. He bled, died, and rose so that we would be holy and we would be divinized. This is the covenant exchange. Okay, here's the covenant exchange. This is in... 1 John 3, verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children. We are God's children now. It does not yet appear what we shall be. So we are God's children right now, but there is more, would you believe? There is more. St. John writes, we, it does not yet appear what we shall be. We know that when he appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So we shall be like him because we shall see him face to face. Paul writes something similar in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12. He says, Now I see, now I see as in a mirror, then I shall see clearly. Now I know um, to a certain extent, then I shall know fully. Um, so the mirror he was talking about isn't the glass mirror that you would have in your bathrooms and bedrooms. It was like a, a pond, uh, you know, when you look at your reflection in water. So it's a dim reflection. That's how we are perceiving God now. Then we shall see clearly. And when we see clearly, we shall see him as he really is. And we shall be revealed as we are. And we shall be completely divinized. But in the meantime, we are already God's children. We 
will be transformed into something far more glorious when Christ returns in glory. Um, and then we'll be completely like him. Okay, now I want to now go to, to, to Colossians chapter 2. And you're going to get bombarded with scriptures, and it's your own fault for not ringing in. You should have actually given me a call and we could have had a nice chat. But in the meantime, this is St. Paul's letter to the Colossians. Um, and uh, you, if, you, if you follow him in the Bible, it's one of those really awkward ones to find, one of the small letters, Galatians, Ephesians, uh, Colossians, Philippians, or something like that. Uh, all Philippians, Colossians. This is chapter 2. I want you to know how greatly I strive for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged as they are knit together in love to have all the riches of assured understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery in Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of knowledge and wisdom. I say this in order that no one may delude you with beguiling speech, for though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. As therefore you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so live in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So, this is once again the covenant exchange. When you were conceived, you were conceived in original sin. You were rooted in original sin, as are most of the world's population to this day, because most of the world's population haven't been baptized. They are rooted in original sin. You always have to bear that in mind. If a person hasn't been baptized, their life is rooted in original sin, and they, are, they have got actual sin in reigning over their lives. Listeners, you do not. If you're if you're Catholics, if you're frequent in the sacraments, you are not rooted in sin. You are rooted in Christ. You really understand that? You are rooted in Christ, and you are being built up in Christ. Rooted and built up. This is what God has exchanged. He has taken away the roots. He's re relayed the roots in Christ. And he is building you up in grace through the sacraments and through your prayer. So that you would have similar dispositions to those of Christ Jesus. This is why Christ says to us, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Because when he was on earth, he is the kingdom of God and its righteousness in his person. We, are, we can become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And one of the popes, I think it was Pope Paul VI, said, Christ is the kingdom that he proclaims. He is the kingdom personified. So when we seek the kingdom, we are seeking the fullness of who Christ is. And here's some more. See to it that no one makes a prayer of you by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the universe, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily. Well, and here's the punchline, folks. And you have come to the fullness of life in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him you were circumcised. Didn't know that, did you? 
by circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of flesh in the circumcision of Christ, you were buried with him in baptism, in which you were all so raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead, and you who, you, who were dead in your sin and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God has made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our sins, cancelled the bond which stood against us with its legal demands, he disarmed the principalities and powers, and he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them. My God in me, what hasn't he done? <laughs> God has completely defeated all of your enemies. Satan has no power over you. The devils have no power over you. Sin has no power over you. Original sin has no power over you. Actual sin has no power over you. This is the power of actual sin in your life. You commit a sin, you go to confession, the sin is taken away with the garbage. Gone. Finished. No power. The power in your life is the covenant power that you have due to a whole new relationship with the Father, who day by day is divinizing, transforming, renewing, and setting you on fire, setting you ablaze with the fire of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's just five minutes left. We would normally have a last song, Eddie, but to be honest with you, I'd like to just spend a few minutes praying for the listeners. I'd like that too, okay. to be honest. Yep, you read my mind <laughs> and my soul. So, by all okay, means. Okay, well, let's do that. I can do, I can do some nice prayer for the listeners over the next few minutes, yeah? That would be lovely. Fantastic. So, listeners, if you can, um, I would encourage you just to sit down, relax, close your eyes and just listen. Okay. Clearly, if you're driving, don't follow all those instructions. But otherwise, just relax. Okay. And uh, just open your hands, open your hearts. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that you take away the sins of the world. You take away all of our sins. You take away all of our failures, all of our failing. And Lord Jesus, when we welcome you in to our hearts, which I encourage everyone to do now, Jesus, we invite you into our hearts. Dearest Blessed Mother, you are the Queen of all hearts, so we ask you to pass through our hearts and we give you the freedom to do whatever you wish to do in us, dearest Mother. And Lord Jesus, you are king of our hearts. We ask you, Lord Jesus, that the word of God which you plant in our hearts may not only bear great fruit, but it may also set us ablaze. I really pray for the listeners, Lord Jesus. I really ask you for the grace of transforming union that everybody listening to this may be touched by your divinizing power. It doesn't take a moment, Lord Jesus, for you to radically transform us, to heal us, to renew us. It doesn't take a moment. So I just pray, Lord, that you will stretch out your hand over everyone listening to this, whether live or on the recording. You will place the fire of your love in their hearts. You'll heal the wounds of their life. Set them free as you set your people free from Egypt. 
pour in copiously the fullness of your spirit, Lord Jesus. So everyone listening to this can be filled to overflowing, as were the early apostles and as have the saints all through the centuries. Lord Jesus, you are sanctifying your church in dramatic fashion in this era. So I pray for all who are listening to this, that they may be cleansed and sanctified in a way that they've never experienced in their lives. As we embark upon this, we're in this new church's year, Lord, and we're about to enter into a new secular year. 2023, Lord Jesus, we pray for a year of sanctification that the people of God may truly be set ablaze with the fire of your love and your church, especially your church in this nation of England, may be completely renewed through the fire of love, the Immaculate Heart of Mary. And I say to all those listening, just learn to receive. Just learn to receive everything that the Father wishes to bless you with. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank Praise you very God. much, Derek. That was great. You bet, Eddie. Mm -hmm. You bet. You're welcome. Have a great week. Thank you, and I appreciate that prayer at the end. Bless you, Eddie. Thank you very much, You Sam. too.